All these children. Wow. That is so awesome. That's so cool. It really is. Guess what I found on the store shelf? Honey. You don't even have to reach in the hive and get all stung to death and so on. You can get honey anytime you want here. It's amazing what you guys have got, what you've thought of and so on. And, uh, oh, a grasshopper. Uh, got him. Got him. They go down a lot better with honey. <laughs> Although I hear tell, it's not nearly as good as the Daniel plan food that you're eating, so. <laughs> ah, yes. It's so good to be with you all. It really is. And I have an exciting story that I want to share with you this morning. An exciting story. It, it, it just, it's exciting. Pastor Bill wanted me to share some of the things uh, to kind of focus in on his new sermon series that he's starting on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I should tell you who I am in case you haven't figured it out. I'm John the Baptist. I'm uh, Zach and Liz's uh, son. And uh, it, it was the other miracle story of Christmas that you don't hear nearly as much about and we don't spend as much time on because my calling was really to be second to be in second place, to lead from the second chair, to have responsibilities and roles that would set up the way of the Lord. And so today I'm playing second fiddle again. I'm pinch hitting for Pastor Bill. You see, he's going to be doing this series on the Gospel of Mark. And <clears throat> he asked if I would kind of prepare the way, since that's something I'm pretty good at doing, prepare the way by introducing this book to you this morning. And so I'll give that an attempt. Uh, my sharing this morning will be kind of along two lines. <clears throat> the first one will be to tell you a little bit about the Gospel of Mark, so you get a little feel, a little flavor for it, and then next week Pastor Bill will be talking more about that. The second thing is that uh, I, I want to share a little bit of my story, and is, in fact, that's kind of how the Gospel of Mark starts off, is with a little bit of my story. So let me tell you some things about the Gospel that you'll be studying. Uh, first, let me ask something. Does your church have a vision statement? What is it? I've got to work with that Pastor Bill because he obviously doesn't have down his responsibility to kind of have some sort of vision for this church. Seriously, you guys don't know what your vision statement is? Do you realize that it's on the top front of your bulletins every single Sunday in front of your face? Do you realize that in your directory it's in big letters here on the bottom and that at the back cover of that sucker it shares exactly what it means to be what? Much better. You were just being shy in front of me. I, I get it now. Well, so anyway, yeah, vision statements. Community strengthening community. And that's really about maturing in Christ in our relationships so that we not only are disciples of Christ, but we're disciple makers for Christ. And that's, that's what my life was about, is to try to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, sharing that message of good news so that people could uh, understand it and begin to mature in their relationship with God, their Heavenly Father. So, you must repent. That was my basic message. You must repent and ask God for forgiveness of your sins. And the stress, the flavor was about the commandments at the time because these were instructions of the Lord of how it is that we could live more in the way that he designed us to live and fulfill his purpose. And <clears throat> part of that maturing is your relationship to Christ is spending time with him. It's getting to know him. It's understanding him through his word, through his love letter to you. 
And one way would be to really immerse yourselves in this gospel, the gospel of Mark. And the reason I say that is because <clears throat> in Mark's gospel, you really have the heartbeat of the Lord. You really have the essence of who he is. There's not a lot of uh, trimmings and so on. He kind of gets right to it. Mark is the earliest gospel, thought to be written about 50, 60 A.D., um, and it's also the shortest of the Gospels, but that doesn't mean it's without its own texture and, and some significant details that bring the account of our Lord Jesus to life in a way that the other three Gospels didn't touch on. Mark just wants to tell the story because he knew it would change your life the same way that it changed his life. Now, who was he? Well, Mark, it's often thought by most uh, scholars that it's probably John Mark. And John Mark, if you recall, was one who went on the first missionary journey with Barnabas and Paul. And in fact, John Mark was a cousin of Barnabas's. Uh, Barnabas's name meant son of encouragement, and he was kind of encouragement on that trip. But John Mark kind of got cold feet, got a little bit homesick. He, he wasn't ready to go through with the gig that Paul was so excited about of being a missionary to the Mediterranean world. And, and so he, he left. He went back to his home. And, uh, but early tradition indicates that he became friends with the Apostle Peter. And that it's really Peter's voice, his eyewitness account, his sharing in the Gospel of Mark that's reflected there. And so you may not know it yet, but as you get into this gospel, you're going to feel Peter's voice and Peter's personality over and over again kind of exercise itself in this gospel. This gospel is a gospel of impatience. It's a gospel about get her done. It's a gospel about a pause, without a, much of a pause for breath or to kind of comprehend what's going on other than to just take you through the excitement, the enthusiasm of this time. And it also has the tone and the heart of an eyewitness account of the story. So, for example, when the children came to Jesus, all the Gospels but Mark, um, uh, but only Mark mentions that Jesus took the children into his lap and enfolded them in his arms. That's what the Greek word is, enfolded, and held them in his arms or put his arms around them. And Mark also mentions in his story when you have the storm on the Sea of Galilee and all the disciples were sore, afraid, and whatnot. And uh, Mark's the only one that it recounts that Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. The others didn't mention that. And so Mark touches on some details that indicate there's an eyewitness account here, somebody who had experienced this um, uh, in their lives. This is the only gospel which identifies itself as a gospel. The other three don't start off that way, but in verse 1 of this gospel, it starts off <clears throat> that it, this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, just a little pop quiz, okay? Because I can tell you're really sharp after that uh, church vision question. <laughs> Give you a chance to redeem yourselves a little bit. But, um, what do you think are some of the basic differences between Mark and the other three gospels? Anything come to mind? Now, some of you have been taking a class, I understand, from Pastor Bill on Sunday mornings and talking about the Gospels, and uh, we talked, uh, I thought, anyway. Very good, thank you. Rescues you. Yes, didn't talk about the birth. Very interesting, the other three Gospels have a birth account. Now, you might be scratching your head for a moment thinking, well, I know Matthew and Luke, they both did, but actually, I think that John, in John chapter 1, had a theological birth account, birth story, of the Word who was to come and to be flesh among us. Um, 
And you remember the rabbit and Alice in Wonderland? I'm late, I'm late for a very important day. No time to say hello, goodbye, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. Well, that's kind of the pace of this gospel. Mark is urgent to get to the punchline of this story, to introduce you to Jesus the Messiah and tell you about him. And so the introduction in the gospel of Mark, lengthy with genealogies and all that kind of sort of stuff in Matthew and Luke and whatnot, and a lot of theology in John, but in Mark's gospel, one verse, one verse of introduction, the gospel of Jesus Christ, here we are, let's go. Verses 2 and 3, well, those are Old Testament quotes, prophecies, predictions of what would happen, what would come to pass. And I got to be there for some of those early things that were the uh, fulfillment of those predictions from Malachi and from Isaiah. But I want to take and tell you a little bit about my story now. In verses 4 and following, it talks a little bit about me how I met the Messiah. Now, you'll see in these verses, 4 through 11, uh, but I want you to get experience it. I want to fill it in a little bit for you to tell you what it felt like for me. You see, I was always, uh, I had always been designated as being a little bit different, a little bit odd, kind of from birth, and probably a lot of explanations for that, but as I grew up, the difference became more pronounced between me and my friends. And I asked my dad why that was, and he shared with me about the miracle birth, how he and mom had prayed, and now that, then they were too old, they were in their 80s and 90s, and, and an angel said that they would give birth, and they both kind of thought that was ridiculous. In fact, my dad got disciplined by the angel of the Lord and didn't talk for nine months, much to my mom's amazement and joy. Um, <laughs> but I would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, I had a special calling. I had been chosen by my God to prepare the way for the Messiah, to go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Malachi spoke of one who would pave the way for the Messiah. And that was me. That was my role. I was the way preparer. And then Isaiah told of a voice crying in the wilderness, and that was me. That was me. I was preaching of repentance and forgiveness and relationship with God and of the one who would come and seal the deal. I lived simply. Animal skins and so on. I got this rather nice one here. I got this from a person on a trade route. They don't have many of these critters in, uh, in Israel. But, you know, as I was out there and eating these honey hoppers, kind of the honey hoppers of the day, I guess, uh, in my solitude, I, I just kind of communed with God's spirit to understand his call, to understand what it was he wanted to do in me and through me for others, his commission to me. And I knew that I was to preach this message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. People came from all around to listen, from Jerusalem and Galilee, people along the trade routes of the time, from Petra and Damascus and Jericho. Some were just curious and just wanted to look at kind of this oddity. Others, well, they just laughed at me and made fun of me. Um, some thought that I was Elijah, come back from the dead. My whole heart, my whole heart, I, I wanted my listeners to to escape judgment. I wanted them to repent. I wanted them to get back in relationship with God. Forsake your sinful ways. That was part of my message. The Messiah is coming. That was always part of my message. Be ready for him. That was the message. 
And in those times when a king or a ruler or a governor would come into a village or town, very often they'd send a courier on ahead to announce the coming of this one, this dignitary. Well, I was considered that for the Messiah, the courier for the Messiah, to kind of announce his coming. Repent, live according to God's teachings. Sometime there will be a judgment. Which side will you be on when that judge comes? People weren't prepared for my teachings, but then people often aren't prepared to hear what they need to hear. I wasn't too popular with the religious authorities of the day. They didn't care much for my message at all. And I wasn't too popular with the political establishment either. I I kind of lost my head over that one. It's a little Israelite humor. You have to know the rest of the story. But no difference. I would not have backed down from God's call, from God's message, from God and what he wanted to do to me and through me. Pastor Bill will say a lot more about that later on in your study when you get into the Gospel of Mark. But not too far into my ministry, it was rumored that I was the Messiah. Moy? (laughs) Me? Not a chance. No, no, I cleared that up right away. You see, I was kind of the Billy Graham of the day, setting up the way, pointing towards, preparing the way for people to make their way to the Lord Jesus Christ. I made it quite clear that he is greater than I am. I'm not worth worthy to to even unlace his sandals. And you need to understand, in the culture of that day, sandal unthonging was was a responsibility of the lowest person on the totem pole in the servant class. This was kind of the drag job that you had to do if you're at the bottom of the totem pole. And at the time, I, I didn't know who Messiah was. And although I remember doing jumping jacks in my mother's womb the first time that I encountered uh, when the two moms got together and whatnot. It didn't dawn on me at that point who this was or why I was doing jumping jacks. And then one day, a relative of mine came to hear me, came to hear me preaching God's message. I knew it was Messiah. I knew it. I think by the Holy Spirit, I knew it was Messiah. And he asked me to baptize, and I said, no way. I'm not worthy to do that. You should be baptizing me. But he said, no, you must baptize me to fulfill the scriptures. And I can remember when he came up out of the water, the heavens just kind of opened up. And this thing, you know, it looked just like a dove came and drifted down and settled upon him. And then a voice cried out from that cloud and said, my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. (laughs) I knew this was Messiah. I knew this was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures and all the teachings. It was the fulfillment of my message of repentance. It all came together and my cousin Mary had carried the anointed one of Israel. And I was privileged to be a vital part of that incredible, incredible story. My role was to point people to Jesus. Men and women, If you are Christians, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, in your experience, if you've received him as Savior to forgive your sins and Lord to direct and be in control of your lives, then your call is to point people to Jesus, pointing other men and women, other boys and girls to the Messiah, to the Christ, to the one who had the answer from God for our sinful predicament. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest. I understand you're doing this, something around that scripture verse. And if you don't know the, about this form, there's some on the table back there. I saw them when I came in this morning. And uh, get on the bandwagon with this. This is a chance for you to begin to ask God, the Lord of the harvest, to prepare workers that might touch the lives of people you care about that you would like to see in heaven with you. And maybe some you'd rather not see in heaven with you, but God wants them in heaven. And so you tell them to repent and to turn their lives, their hearts to the Messiah. Our delegates, when they went to the annual meeting this weekend, took all of our forms. We'll, we'll get yours in there if you want to take and fill one of these out. And they were prayed for and consecrated at our North Pacific, we'll actually call the Pacific Northwest Conference now. We just changed our name. Something, another change. You guys are used to that. Um, but anyway, ask the Lord of the harvest to spread the word, the witness. My prayer is that all people will have a chance to receive the good news into their hearts, into their lives, and to live for our Lord Jesus Christ. Lots of hurting and broken people out there. You know them and sometimes you are them. Lots of hurting and broken people in our world, in our community all around us. And the question is, what will you do? The answer is, Christ is the answer. The question is, what will you do? What will you do about it? Will you get out of your comfort zone? What will Faith Covenant Church do together? Because it's together that we can do things that we can't do on our own. Are we going to be a nursing home for saints? Or are we going to be a hospital and a triage for sinners? That's the choice we have to make. And that's the choice that a lot of people, broken people all around us, need us to make also. Because they need to know about Christ. Well, th thanks for listening. I could babble on and on and so on. But you're going to be looking at a lot more. Walking as a true disciple in the footsteps of Jesus along the path of life as you go through this study in Mark. So hang on for the ride. It'll be great. God bless you. God bless you. This time I'd like the ushers to come. And let's have a word of prayer. God.